0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live I am your host Joe Molinax. very excited to be with you once again however you're taking in the show on Apple on Stitcher on Spotify, Google, uh, I may have already said Google let's do that again, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart however you take in a podcast You're listening to us, and it's much appreciated making Grizzly Bear Blues a part of your Memphis Grizzlies fan experience. Again, I am Joe Monax, the site manager of grizzlybearblues.com, and I am joined on this podcast, as I usually am, by my co-host, my number two man over at GBB, the associate editor, Mr. Parker Fleming. Parker, how are you doing on this fine podcast day?
1: I would have to say I'm in a better mood than most most days because it's the first time in two weeks that I'll be back in the grindhouse, back at FedEx Forum, get to see the Grizzlies take on the Portland Trailblazers. And if it's anything like the the showdowns in Portland, then we're in for a treat.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of terrified that Damian Lillard is going to, to just rip them apart because he is angry. And you don't like Damian Lillard when he's angry. But at the same time, Dylan Brooks handled angry Dame just fine. Uh, over the weekend in Portland, at least in a condensed situation. Uh, So so it'll be interesting to see. It's a good game to see in person, and I'm excited that you'll be back there covering for us over at grizzlybearblues.com. Ways to get in touch with the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Live. You can follow Parker on Twitter at Paka underscore Flocka. You can follow the blog that we're both fortunate enough to work with and write for. At SBN Grizzlies, we both have pieces up in the last couple of days that you can go check out. And you can follow me on Twitter if you want to. Uh, There's a lot of being yelled at for a variety of things. But at times, I, I put out a funny tweet or two. At Joe Mullinax, you can follow me there, of course. And we're excited to have our guest at this time with us. He is one of the harder working folks and one of the more genuine folks when it comes to covering not just the NBA at large, but the Grizzlies in particular. Uh, he blew me and Parker away during the interview process this past year. He was a guy that we knew that we had to have. He writes about the New York Knicks. He writes about the Boston Celtics. And of course he writes for us at SBN Grizzlies at grizzlybearblues.com. Um, he really is a person that you should be following if you don't already do so at Sinquini at C-I-N-Q-U-I-N-I, Jesse um jesse Sinquini joins us here on gbb live a unique perspective covering multiple teams in the league not just the grizzlies he's going to give us a wonderful full-scale perspective on the nba jesse how are you doing buddy
2: i'm doing great joe thanks for having me on i'm a frequent listener and you guys do great work as the co-hosts
0: well we appreciate that that's very kind of you to say and and Parker does a great job. He kind of has taken the podcast network and I've given him my vision. I've given him the skeleton and, and he's filled it in quite nicely. So uh, whether it's three and D core four starting five or or our show here, GBB Live, um, always content that you can be taking in with grizzlybearblues.com. And Parker, my young pad one, as you have been trained up to say, content is king. Content king. is king. That's exactly right. Parker understands. So, Jesse. Speaking of content, you put out a ton of great stuff, not just for us over at Grizzly Bear Blues, but again, we talked about the Knicks wall. We talked about Celtics blog. Uh, you've written for Def Pen Hoops, Hoops Habit, the Celtics Wire. You've been all over the place, and you've really been focused on the Eastern Conference more than anything. You know, your work with the Grizzlies is some of your uh, – I'm sure you've watched the Grizzlies play before, but in terms of analyzing them, your work with GBB has kind of been the beginning of your career – focusing on the Western Conference as a whole, but then also the Grizzlies in particular. So I wanted to start this first segment getting your perspective on the East, because here at GBB Live, obviously, we're very Grizzlies-centric and focused, and that makes total sense. But at the same time, there's a whole nother NBA world out there, and it directly impacts the Grizzlies, and I'll explain how and why as we go through this segment. Uh, This first one is a pretty easy comparison, because I have seen people both in writing and on social media call the Memphis Grizzlies the New York Knicks of the West which I personally take offense to because I think the New York Knicks are the Memphis Grizzlies of the East I think that is how it should be phrased Um, but I think it's meant to be as a compliment like folks like watching the Grizzlies play they're having a lot of fun with this young Grizzlies team and it's kind of strange to say Jesse but there's a lot of people that for the first time in a long time are enjoying watching the New York Knicks play Uh, The the way that they're playing the game, obviously led by Julius Randle, who arguably is an all NBA selection, more than likely when the regular season concludes a talented man or young man. uh, They're being led by Tom Thibodeau. They're having a lot more success than a lot of people thought they would. As we record this on Wednesday, April 28th, 2021, the New York Knicks are the four seed in the Eastern Conference. They're tied with the Atlanta Hawks. Um, They are two games in front of the Boston Celtics, who we'll talk more about here momentarily it's pretty remarkable. There's a lot of surprises in the
2: Eastern Conference this year, but to me, the New York Knicks are the biggest ones. Would you agree with that, Jesse? I definitely do agree with you. I remember um, before the season started at the Knicks wall, we all made individual predictions for New York's record this season, and not a single person said that predicted them to go above 500. So the fact that there's five, six games over right now with 10 games remaining, is a testament to the culture shifts, I think, in New York. And it really starts with Tom Thibodeau, um, just a def- defense-first guy. Um, he's really instilled that, that mentality up and down the lineup, um, and he's kind of made it a, a rule that if you don't defend, you don't play. Extremely valuable to have that mentality, and we've seen
0: some shades of that with Taylor Jenkins in Memphis. He's obviously prioritized defense, playing a certain way, it may be not in the you-don't-play way, because obviously John Morant is, is not the strongest defender this season, but he's still playing uh, a considerable amount, and rightfully so. But I think that you see the Grizzlies and Knicks connection in terms of the culture that's being established. So obviously, from the top down, you have a front office change in New York. You have a new head coach in New York. A lot of those players are the same. You know, Julius Randle was on the team last year. R.J. Barrett was a key player in the last couple seasons. I, I think Reggie Bullock has all of a sudden become a, a very good player. He was kind of a throw in or, or just a, a strictly sharpshooting end of the rotation kind of guy. He has gained a key role. So how much of it is opportunity being presented to these guys? Is it like Memphis in that way where you're given a shot and you get an opportunity to play the way Tibbs wants you to, and, and that emboldens you through the scheme? Is it really kind of that top down sort of situation where the front office of the Knicks sets the tone and everybody else kind of falls in. How are the Knicks doing it? Again, it's different from the Grizzlies because the Grizzlies are relatively young. New York is not old, but they have Derek Rose. They have other players that are in the the mix for that team that makes it a unique situation when you compare it to the overachieving Memphis squad.
2: Yeah. So, um, I think the thing with Thibodeau is he really instills belief in his players. Um, I remember seeing a quote from Reggie Bullock a few games ago saying that, you know, Tibbs is the first person to believe in me, like in a, in a quite some time, my last few stops, I haven't had a big role offensively, but he's encouraged me to shoot the ball and shoot the ball with confidence. And that's really paid, paid dividends because uh, Reggie Bullock's been shooting the lights out as of late. Um, I think there's definitely similarities between the culture in Memphis and, in New York, um, the head coaches, the way that they, the way that they uh, kind of implement the culture is the same. I
1: was watching the
2: Knicks recently.
1: I think it was the game against Dallas on ESPN. And the way that the Knicks just clear out for Julius Randall when he's out on the short wing or in the low post reminds me a lot of the grit and grind days with Zach Randolph. I don't know how much you got to watch of that Jesse, but I know Joe is very familiar with that. Uh, so I mean, obviously, I don't think Randall is Zach. I think Z- Randall might be like a supercharged
0: Zach Randolph. Randall sense. is a much better passer
1: than oh, Randolph. yeah. Much, well, much more willing passer than Randolph. Yeah, maybe that, that might be a better yeah. way to put it short. But uh, just Jesse, I mean, Randall's in his sixth, seventh season, he's 26 years old. Just talk about that leap from Randall and just how cool it's been to see him really become a guy that's a number one option on a playoff team. And I've even heard some national media members call him a borderline MVP candidate.
2: Yeah. So I think he honestly deserves some consideration for most improved player as well, considering the player that he was last year to now, um, he got a lot of flack for being kind of an inefficient player in New York. Um, he, he didn't shoot well from three. He had a tendency to turn the ball over when double teams came his way. Um, he, he had a tendency to force force shots inside when driving lanes weren't there. Um, the games just slowed down for him so much. Um, he's, a, he's improved leaps and bounds as a passer. He's, he's never, he never appears stressed or, uh, or uncomfortable m- m- passing out of double teams. He's nailing threes at a 40 percent clip, um, dishing out six assists a game, grabbing a career high in rebounds, um, just really doing everything out there for the Knicks. Um, And I would definitely pick him, select him as an All-NBA player. Um, I think he deserves that honor and the Knicks wouldn't be anywhere near near where they are without him
0: the most improved player might as well just be given to him right now. I know Grizzlies fans will be frustrated by that and talk about Kyle Anderson. I mean, the numbers that you just listed off are staggering when you think about Julius Randle, and he's doing it on a team that is winning and winning at a better clip than the Memphis Grizzlies are. Like everybody likes to make fun of the Eastern Conference, but the Knicks have a better record than the Grizzlies right now. So I I appreciate the love for Kyle, and I do think he has obviously improved. But to me, it's Julius Randle's, award to lose in terms of being the most improved player. Do you see this as sustainable for the Knicks? Cause again, I'm looking at the standings as we speak. We got roughly three weeks left. I believe in the regular season, um, the bucks, they're not going to catch the bucks or any of the top three. It's Brooklyn, Philly, Milwaukee, and then pretty much everybody else. But the Knicks have the Hawks to contend with the Celtics, who we'll talk about more in a moment are only a couple games back. Same thing with the Miami heat, the reigning Eastern conference uh, champion, uh, even the Charlotte Hornets, another team that's kind of been a surprise this year, is there in the wings, only three and a half games back. Uh, the Hornets are closer to the Knicks than the Knicks are to the Bucs. So is is New York going to be able to hold on to this four seed and this, and kind of pull away from Atlanta? Or is it realistic to assume that the Knicks are going to cool off a little bit and fall back to maybe the five or the six?
2: Um, I think it's, it's realistic to uh, presume that the Knicks will lose a few over the over the last 10 games or so. I mean, they're, they were on a, their best tear of the season, winning 9 of 10. It's going to be hard for them to keep that level of play up for the rest of the year. And um, I know that the Celtics have statistically, I think, the second or third easiest schedule. Um, they have some pretty light games against not definitely lottery teams um, and a lot of games at home as well. And then you have the Hawks, who have been playing well since the All-Star break, and they could definitely get that four seed. So I think it's going to be a dogfight ending the year. There's definitely no guarantee that the Knicks get the four seed, but I wouldn't be surprised if they landed either.
1: Yeah, and so, Jesse, we're going to we're gonna flip here to the other team that you cover, the Boston Celtics. Uh, recently, you joined on the Celtics blog, a very esteemed group of people. I mean, we have a former associate editor of our blog, Jack Newton on there. They keep taking our people. I I need to talk to
0: Jeff. It's ridiculous.
1: They keep taking our folks. Hey, you you don't have to worry about me leaving for Celtics. We're not a Celtics.
0: We're not a Boston Celtics blogger farm. Jeff, (laughs) come on, uh, man.
1: they
0: uh, They have Keith Smith
1: who's been on our pod before, actually very recently. And he does great work called the NBA bubble. And they even had Kevin O'Connor back when he was like a college student. But if the Knicks are the most surprising team in the league, then the Celtics are probably the most disappointing team in the league. And it sounds harsh to say for a team that's 32 and 30, but just kind of the fact of how they've been getting there. There's just been a lot of bumps along the way with, you know, supporting cast questions, trade deadline decisions, uh, Kimba's health. But I think the real low point last night hit when they got beat by Lou Dort, Darius Baisley, and Poku, the Oklahoma City Thunder, on their home
0: court, a team that's actively trying to lose games. Literally trying to lose games. Like, (laughs) I believe there was a highlight in that game where the player, it looks like the Oklahoma City player at close to the end, it's like 110 to 103, and they inbound the ball, and I don't know exactly who it was, but it looks like they throw it right to a Celtics player on purpose. Like, that's exactly what it looks like. They're literally trying to let the Celtics win, and it doesn't happen. But well,
1: Jesse, I'll let you explain what's going on because you have a, a better sense of this than both Joe and I, probably than any of our listeners because of how actively you cover the team. So what is going on with the Boston Celtics? Because all I see right now is just kind of like a blame game, whether it's Danny Ainge, Brad Stevens, uh, Brown and Tatum, even though they shouldn't get any of it. But what what's really like going on in Boston right now?
2: Uh, so so- – to hone in on last night in particular, it was the defense that really um, killed the Celtics' chances of winning that game. Um, if you noticed, the the Thunder um, relentlessly ran driving kicks. They were just attacking the rim time and time again. There was no resistance. I, I realized that the Celtics didn't have Robert Williams last night, and that certainly played a part in that. But there's no excuse for the the efficiency that the Thunder scored. On against the Celtics um just guys not getting blown by defensively guys like Jalen Brown and even Marcus Smart who are both universally considered to be above average defenders you know they're getting blown by off the dribble and they're they the Celtics were getting killed behind the arc as a result and the Celtics have usually been a top five defensive team since they've had Brad Stevens but this year they're 17th in defensive rating last time I checked um And that's just, that's not the Celtics identity that's haven't it's not who they've been the last few years. And I think that's really been the biggest reason for, for their uh, disappointing season.
0: You mentioned Robert Williams. And I'm I'm curious because throughout the last year or so to bring this back to the Grizzlies, this is a Grizzlies podcast. After all, um, the Celtics have always been a team that folks have kind of talked about needing a center right? They need a center. They need a center. And Jonas Valanciunas would be somebody that I would around among, you know, Jeff Clark's Celtics blog and and other places. I'd be like, Hey, here's a Jonas Valanciunas. Here, here he is. Like what, what, what is his value to you? Is he worth a, a Marcus smart to you? And then they would throw, you know, tridents at me and other various weapons. Uh, Cause I ever mentioned Marcus smart leaving Boston. And I realized that they valued him immensely, but my point was they clearly say they need a center, or at least they have said that, but then on the flip side, they aren't willing to give up pieces necessary to acquire said player. And that's kind of, the Danny Ainge M.O., right? And that kind of goes along with what Parker was talking about earlier. You know, always being this close. Oh, we're so close to making a deal. And, and this time they brought in Evan Fournier, but apparently Nikola Vucevic was in that mix for the Celtics. And it was this close, and it, and it didn't come into being. Do you think the Celtics regret, maybe not Jonas Valanciunas, and I don't, I don't think a trade in realistic terms existed between Boston and Memphis for that particular player, but do you think that as the Celtics look back on their last few years, because obviously they have Jason Tatum, who we have to keep in mind, it's easy to forget had COVID. They had COVID issues in Boston. Tatum says he still uses an inhaler before games. So he's been impacted by the pandemic as a lot of folks have, but in terms of the actual infection of the virus, uh, Tatum has been impacted pretty heavily, you know, a healthy 20, 23, I think year old person or 21, even however old he is. Um, to have that health issue that didn't exist before that obviously is impactful. They've had health issues with Kemba, like Parker alluded to. Do you think that they regret not making a bigger move for another piece or is it more being chalked up to bad luck given all the things that I kind of just laid out?
2: Yeah. So I think I know that the Celtics value Robert Williams very highly. Um, just as, well, I, I shouldn't say I know, but a general sense is that they value him, him highly. Um, and he's obviously had a standout year. And um, I'm not sure how if they view Robert Williams as someone they'd give up in a trade for Vucevic. I'm not sure if that would have happened. Um, just, just because of um, what the Celtics have said recently, Brad Stevens... And Danny Ainge have both said that Robert Williams is part of this team's future. Um, I don't think they're going to trade him unless they get an offer that blows them away. But I guess my thought is Vucevic
0: is an all-star, right? This is an all-star caliber player. I don't know off the top of my head if he's made an all-NBA team, but he's in that realm, right? He's in that possibility of being one of the best bigs in the NBA. He is theoretically there. I guess the thing is, and, and, I don't want to say fraud Parker, cause that's a little bit strong, but I, I do believe that they're trying to live in two different worlds at the same time. And this is from the outside looking in, cause I am a Grizzlies blogger, but from watching the Boston Celtics and how they operate from afar, it's like, they want to say, Oh, we're going to be so good in the future. But then they also have multiple players that they're paying a hell of a ton of money, a ton of money to right now. And I feel like they're trying to live in both realms kind of like the Grizzlies are, but the Grizzlies are doing a heck of a lot better job
2: at it. Does that make sense? You're referring to the money that they're paying Kemba, I'm guessing, with the... Sure,
0: Kemba. And I mean, obviously, Jalen Brown has, I think, over $20 million plus that he makes per year. I mean, they're, they're not looking in terms of cap space. They're eventually going to have to pay Tatum, obviously. Um, there, there's a lot of situations going on where their, their team's going to be locked up pretty solidly here soon uh, in terms of what they're able to do financially. And it, it, it's looking, I mean, they're the seventh seed in the Eastern conference right now. Right. I mean, I'll just confirm that. Uh, yeah. they're, they're the six, excuse me. Oh. They're tied for the six seed. Like, are you going to have all this talent and, and, uh, and just be the six seed? Like they're a couple seeds better than the Memphis Grizzlies. Like that's gotta be seen as a disappointment.
2: It is. And I'm, Sure, though, Danny will explore um, options. Whether he actually makes a deal is remains to be seen, but <laughs> right, right, like like he always does, I'm sure he'll explore the waters.
1: You know, I'll, I'll flip it here. I know we've bombarded you with Celtic slander and just <laughs> questioning the, the credibility of Danny Ainge and all that. And, you know, I can go on and on, like the fact that they passed on Brandon Clark twice and they traded Desmond Bain, but I won't get into that. But, you know, you mentioned Robert Williams, and that's someone who I know I've talked to Connor about as a guy that I've kind of said is like a new island because he's a very good per-minute guy. He's very productive. And with his age and how it lines up with Tatum and Brown, he's a guy that needs to be considered like the center of the future for them, per se. And I I think a lot of the things they got to do this offseason is take some of those, like, French players, maybe consolidate for roster spaces for, like, veterans, like guys that are actually, like, good Um, but is there, are there anybody, you know, surrounding Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, uh, Kimba Walker, Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, any of the guys around them that you see as keepers for the Celtics team that ends up bouncing back to become the Eastern conference finals contenders that we know.
2: Tristan Thompson came in and he, he had a rough start to the year, um, but I think he's really turned it around since um, he came back from COVID. Uh, he's been terrific on the offensive glass. He's top 10 in the league in offensive rebounding percentage. Um, he's super effective in the paint. He's a solid post-up game, just a guy you can dump the ball down low to if if you have a stagnant possession and the shot clock is low. Um, I think he's someone that is worth keeping around. Um not to mention he's on a two year, $10 million deal, which is affordable. Um, so yeah, he's a, definitely a guy I'd like to see in green um, for the future. And then Evan Fournier, who admittedly has been up and down um, so far since arriving in Boston. I, I like the, um, the secondary scoring that he provides um, and just the floor spacing ability. I think he's an ideal fit here in green. Hopefully, they can work on an extension this summer. Um, He's a free agent. Those are the two guys that sort of stand out as long-term fixtures. Those are great
1: answers, but I'm also extremely disappointed that you did not mention Oregon (laughs) Duck legend Peyton Pritchard.
2: Oh, God, you love Peyton
1: Pritchard so much. Hey, Joe, you quote tweeted my
0: draft profiles article and said that this is a guy that they should target at 40 I, going he, 26. Would have, he would have been great at 40. I stand by that. You just love him so much. Maybe Jesse so does doesn't Boston love Twitter. him as much as you, Parker. Boston Twitter loves him, too. So,
1: I was just expecting a Peyton Pritchard answer there.
2: Pritchard's – I'm a fan of Pritchard. Maybe not as much as some, but he had a great game last night, too. Probably his best of the season.
0: And he just signed a Nike deal, apparently. Things are going pretty well for old Peyton Pritchard. I didn't I didn't see him as the Nike deal type, but hey, may, maybe I need to pay more attention to Peyton Pritchard. Uh, we're talking with Jesse Sinquini Again, I can't stress enough, he does a fantastic job for us over at risleybearblues.com. But that's not the only place that he writes. He also writes all sorts of different things for the Knicks wall, Celtics blog. Uh, He's a tremendous NBA mind, but we're going to get back to the Grizzlies in particular in our next segment. It's me and Parker Fleming chatting with Jesse about the Grizzlies current state of things in the playoff picture and how the rotation is going to shake out now that the team is finally healthy. Uh, It feels like they haven't been healthy in a long time because they haven't been Uh, a chance to enjoy the fruits of that coming up next here on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax, joined by my co-host, Mr. Parker Fleming. And we are joined at this time by at Cinquini, C-I-N-Q-U-I-N-I, Jesse on Twitter. He contributes for us over at GBB. He also writes for the Knicks Wall Celtics blog. In the first segment, we talked a lot about the Eastern Conference and the two teams in particular that seem to be going in different directions, at least in the here and now, the Knicks moving on up and the Celtics dropping back perhaps somewhat inexcusably uh, as we alluded to in the previous segment, but now let's get back to the Grizzlies and let's take a look at the standings on their end with the season ending here in a few weeks. Uh, Memphis very solidly in the play in my goal for them all season was for them to be in the play in tournament. And that's exactly where they are. They're four and a half games in front of the Pelicans entering Wednesday night's action. They are one and a half games behind the uh, the port, the trailblazers. They obviously play Wednesday night, big game there. They're two and a half games back of the Dallas Mavericks and don't look now, but they are four and a half games back of the Lakers for the five seed. It sounds crazy to bring that up, but they are roughly the same games away from the Lakers that the Pelicans are to the Grizzlies. So if anybody wants to talk about the Pelicans getting up to the eight seed, it shouldn't be that. Uh, ludicrous to talk about the Grizzlies getting up to the five. I don't think Memphis is going to do that. And we'll end the show with that uh, with our GBB live question of the day, but there's no denying that the Grizzlies are solidly in the play in tournament uh, as of this recording and uh, barring some epic collapse, Jesse, they're going to stay there. Um, in your experience, diving into the Grizzlies, because again, you're relatively new to covering the team in this way. What do you take away most from your first season watching Memphis play, seeing that culture that we were talking about, the way that they're building it with Taylor Jenkins, obviously, John Morant, Dylan Brooks. There's a lot of moving pieces and parts to what's being built in Memphis. It's a rebuild that in year one, they made the play-in game against Portland. Obviously, there's a rivalry of sorts developing here. In year two, they are in the playoff conversation. Again, they're two and a half games back of Dallas and being clear of the play-in entirely. So that's not a completely ludicrous thing to bring up either the, the idea that they could catch the Mavericks if things cool off for Dallas so the, the Grizzlies apparently are the best rebuilding team in the history of the National Basketball Association <laughs> uh but they're they're doing pretty good work they're overachieving and with you know 12 games or so to go they have a lot of work to do to hold on to that spot But just in your initial experience watching the team and seeing them grow in this first season with you, with us at GBB, what are some of your just basic takeaways from this current iteration of Grizzlies basketball?
2: Um, So I think the number one takeaway is from watching this team is just the depth. I think this team is arguably the most deep team in basketball, um, one through 10. Um, There's just guys that can have, like, that can go off and score 15, 20 every night, whether it's Desmond Bain, Grayson Allen, D'Anthony Melton, Dylan Brooks, um, the list goes on. Um, just the ability of this team to respond when others are out, just to take on higher roles than they're usually accustomed to when needed. Um, it just speaks to the culture of, that Taylor Jenkins has instilled. Um, it's a winning culture that's forming in Memphis and. It's been a pleasure to see just how this team has been able to respond from controversy. I mean, from um, injury setbacks and COVID um, they've been able to withstand all that and still have a successful season and they're just getting, starting to get healthy, which is a plus.
0: The health thing is obviously a major piece and we'll talk more about that here in a moment, but I, you get a chance to watch so many more NBA games because of who you cover. especially like we talked about the Eastern conference in particular in the previous segment, when you look at Brad Stevens, you look at Tom Thibodeau, you look at Taylor Jenkins, Taylor Jenkins is the second youngest coach in the NBA. What are some things? Cause Thibodeau is seen as a pretty good NBA coach. Brad Stevens is considered one of the best NBA coaches, maybe incorrectly with all the slander that Parker was throwing in the first segment. Maybe he wants to attack Brad Stevens too. Um, but at the same time uh, you know, when you look at, two coaches that most folks would probably put in front of Taylor Jenkins at this stage of his career. What are some things that Jenkins has really kind of stood out as you've watched Tibbs, you've watched Stevens Jenkins. How does he differentiate? What does he use that Stevens and Thibodeau have had success with, you know, just your overall takeaways from the coaching aspect of it too.
2: Number one, Taylor Jenkins seems like a super positive guy. Um, He seems he's, He's always applauding the Grizzlies for their effort even when they come up short. Um he's a guy that seems to be never too high, never too low, which is a great mentality to have if you're an NBA coach, especially with a young team that's still learning and developing and hasn't reached their peak yet. As far as Xs and Os go, I I've definitely recognized that the Grizzlies are drive and kick centric. Um they run that a lot, especially with Jaw in the game, um, and too much success. It helps to sp- spread the floor and get shooters open. Um, that's what I've noticed, um, just the, how, how often the Grizzlies attack and how often they drive and kick out to open three-point shooters.
1: Co- Coach Jenkins has a fascinating problem on his hands to start uh, the playoff push, really, and that's a fully healthy ro- rotation for the first time all season. There's not anybody on the injury report. I'm going to knock on wood because I don't want anything to happen. But it's brought up a lot of debates over who should be in it. It's even sparked articles from both Joe and I on certain players in that. I know a lot of people have been saying, "Well, oh, why is Justice Winslow playing over Tyus Jones? We're now seeing why is Brandon Clark playing over Xavier Tillman, which is about made my head explode but I wrote about Xavier Tillman yesterday and just how his play in April really made him more of a guy where before he was an easy cast off from the healthy rotation. And now it was like, okay, which combinations can we unlock to make sure he can still play from afar? uh, What, what do you make out of the rotation decision? And just is coach Jenkins making the right call with who he's rolling with right now?
2: Oh, so yeah. to talk about Tillman. Um, his efficiency um on that like like you pointed out on twitter his efficiency from that floater area that short mid-range is what's stood out to me lately um he's basically been automatic from there um and as like a as a roller he's just he devastates defenses kind of like how brandon clark did in his rookie year but clark is admittedly disappoint been a little disappointing at least in my eyes um i thought he had the makings of a, a future star after his rookie year. It's, it's how it came off to me. Um, he was incredibly efficient, uh, solid help defender. Uh, he's still a quality rotation player. He just hasn't made the leap that I thought he would. Um, but as far as the rotation goes, I'm, I'm a fan of what Jenkins is doing right now. Um, obviously, he's in a tough spot having to juggle between a lot of different guys that are talented and do different things that impact winning. Um, It's hard to manage all those talents, but he's done as good a job as I think you can.
0: When you look at the rotation, Jesse, and you kind of work through as I did in my piece for Wednesday, kind of building up how you, how you would see it. And you ask 10 different people and you'll get 10 different responses. That's what happens when you have the quality problem of quality depth. Like it's a good issue to have, to have all these guys that can play and trying to figure out how to fit them in. Like you could make an argument that you remove both rookies, right? Rookies that are inexperienced in the NBA. If you're truly trying to make a playoff push, you know, Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman might make rookie mistakes You can make that argument. Lionel Holland sure as hell would have made that argument. Maybe even Dave Yeager would have made that argument. Um, And J.B. Bickerstaff too. Shelvin Mack might be playing instead of Desmond Bain if J.B. Bickerstaff were still the head coach. Um, You could make the argument that it should be a meritocracy because you just talked about how Brandon Clark has been struggling. Xavier Tillman has been a better basketball player for a longer stretch of time this season than Brandon Clark has this season. I would argue that Clark was better the previous year Than Tillman is now, but that Clark hasn't shown up yet, at least not consistently in the 2020 2021 campaign. Same thing with Justice Winslow in a meritocracy. If you're putting somebody in that deserves to be there based off of the quality of their play, Justice Winslow has been a very good defender, but offensively, he's been. What's the word? Abhorrent? Is that maybe the right word to describe it, especially shooting from range? Tyus Jones is one of the most efficient players in the NBA when you combine assist uh, with turnover ratio. And you look at that number and you look at how Tyus plays, even though he's not shooting particularly well either, at least he protects possessions. You're betting on potential with Clark and Winslow as opposed to the production that Jones and Tillman have provided. So you can make that argument. You can make an argument when the starting lineup Jaron eventually will return to the starting lineup in my version of the rotation. I would have Jonas as a reserve, but that's not going to happen. Jonas Jonas is going to more than likely be a starter and Jaron will start next to him. And now you're looking at Grayson Allen or Kyle Anderson coming out. Well, who do you mix and match with once the rotation changes there? There's so many different combinations that you can look at. Um, I'm curious, Jesse, I, I'm not going to ask you to do all of it. Cause it took me some time to do it myself, but if there was one thing in particular that you're looking at Jenkins doing now that you would make a specific change with regard to and Parker, I'll ask you the same question here in a moment. What would it be like one thing? Cause again, right now the rotation, it appears to be Ja, Grayson, Dylan, Kyle, Jonas starting. It's not always going to be that way. Jaron will eventually be a starter. But Kyle, assuming, will still be in the rotation. He's had a very good year. And then the reserve unit is Justice, Bain, you've got Melton, you've got Clark, and you've got Jaron. So those are the 10 guys playing right now. What changes among those 10, would, or what one change, I should say, would you make among those 10? Would you replace one with a Tyus Jones and a or a, or a Xavier Tillman? Would you keep it the same? I know you said you like it. Is there anything that you would switch up?
2: Some Grizzlies fans might not love this, but I think I would put move Grayson Allen to the bench when um, Jaron Jackson Jr. returns to the lineup.
0: Okay, fair enough. So you would move Grayson Allen, so you would go Ja, Dylan, Kyle, Jaron, Jonas.
2: I would. It's a little bit of a big lineup.
0: Yeah, I like the bigger size, and I I do think that's one of the arguments for Justice Winslow at the point right now. Right, uh, he's bigger than Tyus, and a little more defensive versatility. What about you, Parker? What would you do if anything to the current state of things with the rotation? Uh, I don't I don't want any bit anybody on
1: uh, Grizz Twitter to to hate me for this, but and I'm not 100 percent dedicated to this. For one, to bounce off Jesse's point, I like the idea of. Moving Grayson Allen to the bench, especially if he doesn't regain his shooting form from right. basically all season long, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't also think there's anything wrong with having a good six man like he, like De'Anthony Melton. I mean, we've seen sure. it be a successful formula for title contenders over the past years. Um, but I would look to stagger more minutes with Jaw and Justice mm. because I, it really we had this conversation sparked yesterday with good. Friend of mine, uh, Connor Dunning, and 929. And the John Morant and Justice Winslow lineups are really good. They outscored their opponents by 7.5 points per 100 possessions when Jaw and Justice are on the court. And when you take Jaw off the court and you have just Justice, it's a dumpster fire. They get outscored by 18 points per 100 possessions. So, especially if you're trying to see how justice fits specifically with Jaw and Jaron, right? Then I would I would put him in lineups more with those guys as opposed to him having to lead the second unit. And you know, maybe if your idea is to move one of Grayson or Bain out of the rotation to get Tyus Jones back in to find looks for guys like D'Anthony Melton and Desmond Bain, uh, Brandon Clark. I, like it's something you can go with, but I don't think it's necessarily a rotation tweak or changing a starting lineup. It's more of a hey, over the course of 48 minutes, we got to find minutes to get justice next to John Jaren. One for da- data accumulation, and two, it's making the best use of Justice Winslow because they're actually productive that way.
0: Ooh, you said data accumulation. You're, you're going to have all sorts of people storming the blog gates. <laughs> Thanks a lot for that. I appreciate it. You know, you, you really want to get to the point where you can get curb stomped by Kawhi and Paul George and, and the like. Uh, that's much more important than figuring out if Justice is a good basketball player or not. We're finishing up here with Jesse Sinquini. Jesse does a great job for us at GBB. He also writes about the Knicks over at the Knicks wall. He writes about the Celtics over at Celtics blog. Uh, big fan of his. Glad he's on our team. And we're finishing up with him here on GBB Live. Jesse, we'll get you out of here on this. The question of the day, where will the Grizzlies finish in the playoff picture when the regular season concludes the four options were seven seed or better eight seed where they currently reside nine or 10 seed. And then out of the play in nobody out of the 76 folks that voted said that they would be out of the play. in I think that's fair to say at this point, they will certainly be playing some semblance of postseason basketball barring an epic collapse uh, of pretty substantial proportions. Uh, the, Thing that surprised me most from the poll, Jesse was 42% of people think that the Grizzlies are going to move up to the seven seed or better. That would mean that they'd have to pass Portland who they're a game and a half behind right now. I know the Grizzlies have an easier schedule, but still that seems like a a tall task to me. They are currently tied in terms of record with the Spurs for that eight seed. I kind of see them hanging around that eight, nine kind of conversation, uh, the leading vote getter in the question of the day poll was staying in the eight seed at 48.7% set 42% of people felt that they were going to move up to the seven seed or even be better than that. Only 9% of folks had them getting down to the nine or 10 seats. So I'm curious, Jesse, do you see them moving up in the standings over these last 12 or so games? Do you see them moving back in the standings or do you see them essentially staying the same?
2: Um. Yeah. So I don't see – I don't anticipate much movement either way. I think this is basically where the Grizzlies will land at that eight seed. Um, I know that Spurs are right on their heels and Golden State's only a game back. I like the way that the Grizzlies have played as of late. As far as moving up, I just don't think anything past seven is achievable or realistic. When you look at the Mavericks, who are two-and-a-half games above – And the Lakers, who are four and a half, the Grizzlies are going to have to go on some kind of tear to end the season if they want to make up ground. And the Mavics are just a better
0: basketball team. I think that's okay to say. You're allowed to say that out loud. They have Luka Doncic. He's he's one of the best five to ten players in the NBA at this stage. So I think you're allowed to say Dallas is just better right now. Doesn't mean they always will be. But again, you know, I am very much agnostic when it comes to this season. If they move up, that's great. If they move back, that's great. I voted for the eight-seed option. I'm with you, Jesse. I think they're pretty much going to stay the same. Parker, what about you? Do you think they're going to move up seven or better? Do you think they're going to fall back, or are they going to stay where they are? Um, I voted for eight.
1: Honestly, I I can see it being seven because Portland struggled as of late. Uh, They're three and seven in their past ten games. But also, too, if you look at after tonight's game, they have Orlando twice, New York at home, and in a – Three-game stretch where they're playing Minnesota, Detroit, and Toronto. Um, you may end up getting lucky, too, with New Orleans resting players because I don't think they're in the play-in really anymore. So they, they can move up to seven just because of the schedule difficulty that they have or lack thereof. Uh, I think for the sake of our sanity, I would like to see them get seven or better just because I don't, I don't really want to see people say that this season's a failure if they are in the play-in. Slash, they end up having to face Dame one playing game and Steph another. That just kind of sounds like hell to me. So I I would I would bank on, even though I voted eight on the poll, looking at like the schedule and just kind of like how they're
0: playing thus thus far, I'm gonna go with seven or better. I do think it's more likely that they move up than move back. that that would be my stance. I still think they'll kind of settle where they are because they'll probably finish, you know, again, if they have about 12 or so games left, they'll probably finish with a seven and five kind of record. Um, And that would probably put them right in the same mix where they're currently sitting. I could see them moving up more than I could see them falling back. I don't think they fall back to the 10, for example, but like you said, you're, you're in a spot where you have the challenge of in a play-in environment. If the play-in were today, the Warriors would be playing the Spurs and the Grizzlies would be playing the Trailblazers. Memphis would have to win to avoid playing probably Steph Curry in a winner take. I, I don't want that at all. That, yeah, that's terrifying. That sounds awful. Like, I, I like Dylan Brooks. I think he's a good basketball player. I know it's popular to think he doesn't think, or they, excuse me, I know it's popular to think he's not a good basketball player at times. I think Dylan is a good player. I don't want to see him trying to defend Steph Curry in a winner-take-the-eight-seed scenario. I don't see that ending well for Memphis in any way, shape, or form this particular season. So. And our mentions would be on fire because of it. Yes, that, that's exactly right, especially yours, especially yours, Parker. You know whose mentions wouldn't be on fire? Jesse Sinquini, because he doesn't have any hot takes about Dylan Brooks. He just has solid NBA takes across the board, on the Boston Celtics, the New York Knicks, and, of course, our Memphis Grizzlies over at GBB. Make sure you're following him on Twitter. If you don't already do so, at C-I-N-Q-U-I-N-I. Jesse, he does awesome work for us, and we're very excited that he is with grizzlybearblues.com. Jesse, thank you for your time, buddy. We'll have you back on down the road.
2: Thank you so much, Joe. I'd love to be back sometime.
0: Absolutely. Jesse did a great job. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for listening. However, you're taking in the podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, Google, Apple, all the different ways that you can listen to the GBB Podcast Network. Make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing. Make sure you're checking out grizzlybearblues.com every day for all sorts of content as the playoff push continues. So for Jesse, for Parker Fleming, my great co-host, I am Joe Mullinex. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.